Thank you for listening to the Stonehouse Sermon Series, A Disciple's Songbook. This series focuses on the Psalms of Ascent, songs that God's people would sing on their journey up to Jerusalem. Good morning. That was awesome. You guys remember that one time? Oh, man. Psalms have been so deep and so powerful. Um, If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the Psalms of Ascent. If you haven't been with us, that's totally fine. We were picking up about halfway through these Psalms of Ascent. They started in Psalm 120. They'll finish in Psalm 134. um, And uh, we'll finish that up in November, just before our series for Advent, which will take place starting at the end of November. So uh, we're in week nine here, and, and, and last week we talked about how this uh, uh, book of Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, have a, a kind of a wide diversity of um, kind of themes among them, and Psalm 127, which was last week, and then Psalm 128, which is this week, are both wisdom psalms. Um, And wisdom psalms take on a very different kind of embodiment than a lot of the psalms that have gone before them. Uh, Many of our psalms were leading us towards these like desperate pleas, uh, towards acknowledging just how messed up and broken the world is, uh, had us on our knees kind of crying to God for help. Uh, Whereas these wisdom psalms are much more instructional uh, in kind of the way they come across. And so this week, again, we'll kind of see that. Um, that kind of take us into a direction of, of finding instruction in the midst of these psalms. And so we want to be faithful just to kind of the, the kind of the psalms, right? We want to, we've talked about this, how there's thematics in the scriptures, how, how we have to read the scriptures literarily, uh, meaning if it's a poem, we should read it as a poem. If it's wisdom literature, we should re- read it as wisdom re- literature. If it's a narrative, we should read it as a narrative. If it's a prophet um, speaking with really, you know, strange kind of language and verbiage and stuff like that, we, we need to treat it as a prophet. We see all these different uh, ways of looking at Scripture. And so we want to come to this wisdom psalm and say, man, what, what are, what are we going to learn? Like, what are we supposed to glean about life and about who God is um, and about what it means to walk in wisdom? How are we supposed to glean those things uh, from this psalm? So uh, we've also got questions in your bulletin, hopefully help us kind of walk through these psalms week in and week out, uh, just to kind of help further process those or maybe even discuss them in uh, a city group. So um, we, we Week in and week out, we're reading these psalms over and over again, so I'm going to do that again, read Psalm 128, and we're just going to, really, this one, we get to walk kind of straight through it, uh, verse by verse, and just see how we are to learn wisdom from this psalm. So let's read Psalm 128, and then we'll pray and jump in. So here it is, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we're humbled and grateful to know you, to be here in a place where we can freely learn of you. Um, and God, we come today, uh, hopefully with this kind of humble admission that we are not all wise uh, and that we have much to learn. Um, and God, I believe that's true for every single one of us, no matter where we are on the education spectrum, uh, no matter where we are on the age spectrum, um, no matter where we are on the walking with Jesus spectrum, or maybe even not walking with Jesus. Um, every single spot along all of these lines, we are still a person, we are still a people who need wisdom. And you said very clearly in your word that if we lack wisdom, we should ask God for wisdom and he will give it because he's gracious and good like that. Not because we deserve for him to teach us wisdom, but because he has made us his children, that he's made us in his image and that we bear the image of God when we walk in wisdom. And so, God, we pray again this week that through this wisdom psalm, you would guide us and you would lead us. And in particular, God, that you would help us to kind of uh, mine from this psalm the ideas of the fear of the Lord and the idea of blessedness. Um, God, help us to maybe set aside some of our preconceived notions, uh, which is, man, that's a difficult thing. So, God, we, we need your spirit to work in us for that to even be possible. But please help us if we need, uh, Lord, to dispose of kind of some ways we've thought about these things in the past and to really be taught through your word. And Lord, we pray above all things, as we do every week, that you would just help us to see Jesus, our Savior, our God, our Redeemer, the glorious one who lived wise above all and that he gave his life as a ransom for many to serve us so that we could learn, uh, take up his yoke and learn of him. God, we ask all these things humbly this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, so we need to start with two kind of words or concepts this morning. Um, and, and the main reason we need to do this is because of misunderstanding or assumption, okay? So we, we, uh, we really, 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 really want to dig in and understand ideas at their core from a biblical perspective. Um, the reason we want to do that is because we live in uh, an environment uh, nationally, um, even geographically, right? We live in an environment... Uh, in which there are myriad of assumptions about things of God. And oftentimes, these assumptions are either completely wrong or just off enough that if we believe them for the trajectory of our lifetime, we'll end up in a really bad spot. Okay? To say it another way, our culture believes particular things about God. And when I say our culture, I'm talking about those who would reject God, reject the Bible as authority, and run away from God, okay? That culture believes wrong things about God. But then even more dangerously so, the culture that accepts God and says it believes the Bible also is often wrong in its assumptions about God, right? And this is an extremely dangerous thing because we can exist in said culture that believes in God and says it believes in the Bible and be misunderstanding his character, his nature, 
We can be misunderstanding the things that happen to us. We can even misunderstand our own mindset, our own heart, our own posture in this world uh, because we've based them all on cultural assumptions. And so one thing that we try to do here at Stonehouse is to evaluate these assumptions and to be humble enough. It's hard, like really, really hard to be humble enough to say, I might not be right. I've had this conclusion about who God is, and it may not be accurate, right? And so though we also have this opposite danger, which is for us to arrogantly stand up and say, I know everything, and this is, I'm just, right? So we've got all of these dangers to kind of be cautious about, which is the glory of the Word of God, which is His revelation of Himself delivered once for all for us to understand according to His own revelation, right? And we trust deeply in the Spirit of God, it's been given to us so that we might understand the Scriptures. Because without the Spirit of God, we're hopeless. We'll just continue in these kind of errant assumptions, right? And so two places, I think one more over than the other here in this psalm, but two places in this psalm um, that I think we need to kind of be honest about our assumptions and maybe reevaluate them is the idea of the fear of the Lord uh, and then the idea of blessing or blessedness or being blessed. Okay, uh, it's that blessed one that I think is a little more wrong than the fear one. Okay, um, we'll see where we land today. And so um, we do this. We want to evaluate these things, and we're like, we do it on purpose, and we're really intentional. Okay, um, if it's tough to do, that might be because it's just a new experience for you. And man, like all right, cool, let's do it together because it's tough for me too. So we get to like come into this awkward moment of like, I thought this my whole life. Could I be wrong? type of thing. And that's a tough place to come, but man, it's a really safe place when a group of people come there together and just go, man, can like together can we learn? Together can we come to a better understanding of what Jesus has said? Um, and and we, we also do this um, partly because we hope that we create an environment here that's open to folks who really doubt a lot of these things. And who really struggle with a lot of these, a lot of these things. And so, if you're not a believer, and you, or or maybe you're like, I'm not sure if I'm a believer, or I'm kind of, I get this stuff, but I don't really get this stuff. Like, man, that's awesome, and this is a, a great place to be, right? We really want to to envelop those questions and and wrestle with them together, and not cast off like, <laughs> you don't have that done yet. What's wrong with you, you fool? You know, like that's that can't be our posture, uh, if we see that. Um, uh, that we can't always know everything. And so uh, if, if you have questions and if doubts arise and if all that kind of stuff continues to go on here, we're, we're happy for that to happen. And we hope that uh, as we look at the word that we're just really honest about it, um, that we're honest about our own struggles with it, and that through that honesty, folks who really doubt and, and struggle can come here and enjoy um, learning and, and enjoy the freedom to just keep poking, right? Keep kicking the wheel, so to say, and say, what is this thing all about, right? And honestly, like, if the things that this Christian culture says are true about God, if all those things were true about God, I'd be a severe skeptic myself. In fact, I am often of that particular viewpoint, of, of certain particular viewpoints, right? Like, there, there is much to be doubted in kind of a the general American Christian way of looking at God. And so we want to kind of evaluate those things. Uh, and really when we do this, man, I think it strengthens our faith. Like this boils us down to some kind of gut level type stuff that, man, when we really start to 
sink our teeth into those things and be able to not only know it, but then believe it, and then not just believe it, but then articulate it, man, that, that deepens our faith in profound ways so that we're not just glossing over these really important themes of Scripture, um, but that we're digging into them so that we ask questions like, what does it mean to be blessed by God? Like, that's a huge, important question to ask because it's everywhere in the Bible, and we need to understand that. Same, same things like, what does it mean to have faith? What is justification about? Well, that's a big word. What does it mean? What is redemption? Uh, what actually happened at the cross in the life of Jesus, in his death on the cross, and in his resurrection? Like, we want to deep, uh, deepen our faith by digging into these different things. And so when we pause to do this, Right? This isn't a moment, if you've been a Christian a bit, this isn't a moment to be like, all right, checking out. Derek's talking about all the stuff I already know, right? And just departing, right? But rather a, a beautiful opportunity to dig in and strengthen our faith. Um, and really to challenge. Like if, if there's moments where you're just like, ah, ah, like we, please, we really welcome that whole thing as well. Um, all this to say, I think much of our learning as followers of Jesus today uh, has to, on some level, have a bit of unlearning in it, right? There, there, are, there are things that we need to unlearn in order to learn what's uh, right and true about God. Uh, and so these assumptions that we have in our life, if we haven't, if we haven't inspected these ideas, uh, it may be that there's some deprogramming that needs to happen in us so that we can uh, be re reprogrammed by the clarity of Scripture. Um, I heard a famous or a story once about a famous modern spiritualist uh, and an encounter that they had in college when they were listening to a preacher in a church. And that preacher was going over the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and read verse 5 that says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And said popular spiritualist uh, encountered this idea of a jealous God that was not unpacked for her in that moment, in that sermon, and in that day. And, and she sat back and went, how can God be jealous of me? That doesn't make any sense. He, what a piddly little deity if he's up in heaven throwing people around to do whatever he wants them to do and he's jealous of me the whole time? And that was the beginning of her departure from faithful biblical Christianity. And now she's way out there. Like that was the beginning, just a moment where a preacher had a gigantic assumption about the crowd that he was speaking to, and he train wrecked, I mean, sovereignty of God and everything in this whole situation, but responsibility of man, this guy did not unpack what does it mean for God to be jealous. Why would God say, I am a jealous God, right? And that's not what we're talking about today, but just so you know, that isn't what God saying, I am a jealous God means. It's not, he looks at you and is like, man, you got bigger biceps than me. I'm jealous of you. Or you drive a nicer car or have a bigger house, right? It's this, it's this existence of God being all-encompassing and all-demanding that he, that he not be just a shared piece, a small little segment of our life, but that when we come to him, we recognize that man, he takes over. Because that call is in the midst of the call to, dis, to uh, turn from all other gods, to not have any other gods before God, right? Because if God is really indeed God, then his being, his existence, his glory demands that he takes over, right? That he doesn't share us with these other gods that we have in our lives. Little g gods, which for us are things like money and comfort and stuff like that. So if... Um, if all that is just kind of in one ear and out the other, um, I, I just I really hope and I just you know want to pause and say let us uh, let us be those who evaluate 
You know, what are, what are we kind of assuming? Uh, what have we come to understand? And, and how might that be either reinforced or challenged uh, as we walk through Scripture and let it instruct us? So with that, let's read Psalm 128.1 again because that's where we're going to start. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And so in order to properly understand this entire psalm, we're going to need to look at these two things, the fear of the Lord and blessing. Um, And so we're going to start with the fear of the Lord uh, because it's the shorter of the two, and then we'll get into blessing. And so we actually touched on the fear of the Lord last week. I read from, I think it was Psalm 110. Uh, I've got Proverbs 1-7, which is virtually the same thing. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is a concept that we see all throughout the Old Testament, in particular throughout the wisdom literature, um, where uh, the declaration about what does it look like to be wise is stated that it starts with fearing God, right? So living a life of wisdom or having a wise understanding of things, it starts with fear of God. And so fear here, right, in this context, in this uh, phrase is not this idea of trembling in terror over in the corner, right? Like kind of wetting yourself over there and just like, oh my God, right? Like that's not what we're talking about with fear here. A better word maybe for us in our context would be this word awe, right? So to say we ought to be in, in the fear of the Lord would be to say we ought to look at the Lord with awe, right? We ought to behold him with just this kind of slack-jawed, big-eyed, like, wow, type of a, of, of a uh, disposition, that we ought to uh, have reverence and respect for the Lord, Right To fear the Lord is to sense the weight or the gravity or even the glory of God and then to respond appropriately to it. Jason, this summer in Isaiah 6, unpacked Isaiah's response when God's holiness showed up on scene. That is fear of the Lord. Sure, Isaiah trembled. (laughs) He shook in his boots, to be sure. But basically what he said is, Whoa, God, you're amazing and huge, and I am an ant in comparison, right? The fear of the Lord or the awe of God would be to say, I need a right perspective on who God really is. And when I get said right perspective on who God really is, it helps illuminate my station in life. It helps illuminate my position in life that I'm really not all that spectacular, right? I'm limited in wisdom and power and scope. I have a beginning and an ending. None of those things are true of God. He is absolutely unlimited. He has no beginning and he will have no ending. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He knows everything. He is the definition of wisdom and love and power. And this is the greatness of of God. And so Psalm says, and all these Proverbs and Psalms and wisdom literature says that wisdom starts with seeing God rightly. Wisdom starts with this awe and respect of God. And really when we see God rightly and see ourselves rightly, we give weight to those things which God gives weight to. So suddenly his words are of utmost importance to us. Because what he says is good, is good indeed, and ought to be pursued with our utmost. And what he says is evil, is evil indeed, and ought to be run away from, so that we might pursue what is right and is good, 
What he says is love. What he says is grace. What he says is glory. These things ought to bear tremendous weight in our souls as we consider these realities. And so we give weight to these things that God gives weight to. We honor his words. We respect his ways and we pursue his paths. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Steve Timmis says it wonderfully this way. He says, whatever we fear will shape and define our life. This is why fearing the Lord is the main element of wisdom. When we fear the Lord, everything else is in perspective, occupying its proper place in the scheme of things. They are neither too big nor too small. He says when we get this view of God rightly, the view of everything else falls where it should appropriately. Right? And last week we talked about work and we talked about how our propensity to define ourselves with our work leads towards this idea of anxious toil. Right? And that's seeing work wrongly. To see work rightly is to see that it's a gift from God to partner with him in the good sustenance of the world and that we aren't defined by it, but rather we're defined by the work of Jesus. So now we're liberated in our work to work as unto the Lord, not to prove ourselves, but because Jesus has proven us through his love. And so we see things rightly when we fear the Lord. So to summarize this concept, to live in the fear of the Lord is to give him his right place as creator God and to take our right place as created beings within the greater world that he has made, right? See, God is God and I am not, and what he says goes. That's the fear of the Lord, and that's the beginning of wisdom. Let's read one verse, uh, verse 1 again. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Really, there could be uh, a, just a slight translation difference in this verse. Uh, I've seen it in quite a few different places this week. It could say this, how happy are those who fear the Lord who walk in his ways? It's really an interesting uh, uh, kind of parallel between the word blessed and happy, um, blessedness and happiness that there is a happiness in this idea of fearing the Lord and walking in his ways, and that that is, in fact, the blessing of God, to have a disposition of the soul that is, uh, that is just in awe of God and what he has done, and so, therefore, it sets us in the right frame of mind. Uh, what I think, though, for many, is that the idea of being blessed is about getting Right? I think the idea in this kind of culture that I spoke of a little earlier, I think the idea of blessing is about getting, uh, that it's largely about obtaining things, uh, and that not only is it largely about obtaining things, but it's also largely about obtaining either abundance um, or um, uh, opulence, you know, just like above and beyond, that, that to say someone is blessed means like... Super, you know, like hashtag blessed on Instagram. You know, it's like all the famous people sitting on the beach. With, you know, it's just like hashtag blessed. Like, all right, well, is that really kind of what Scripture points us to? And, and the answer is no. Um, and often we also uh, butt that right up against this kind of cause and effect idea, right? And this is really tough with a, an improper kind of understanding of God and the gospel. We might see blessing as kind of a cause and effect type of a thing. Like, so long as I do A, then I will get B, right? Like, and, and this is kind of where we go with blessing. We think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed because I did, 
or he's blessed because he did, or I'm not blessed because I didn't, or they're not blessed because they didn't, right? And we use this idea of blessing as kind of a measuring stick for how faithful or obedient or good or whatever people are, right? And we talked about last week the, the wisdom psalms, how they show us a lot of different kind of complexities about wisdom. And one of those complexities, and it's all over the book of Psalms, man, these psalmists are like, God, what's going on? All these nasty people have all this stuff. They don't have a single worry in their life. They go from day to day to day without a care or concern, and they're just absolutely wicked, they don't care about you and your word. They dispose of your people, and yet they've got everything, right? Like that's one of the complexities of the broken world that we think, man, right living should mean right getting, but often we see wrong living turns into getting. And what's, what's up with that, right? Like just this kind of complex confusion about what is blessing. And so we, can't, we, have, to, uh, we have to embed ourselves in the truth of the gospel which is God is God, right? I am not. And not only am I not God, but I'm wicked, sinful, and rebellious. And I don't just say that nonchalantly, but like we are predisposed toward rejecting authority, right? We are predisposed toward choosing our way over God's way. Uh, we are, are sinners not just by choice, but by nature, right? We're not sinners because we do sin. We sin because we are sinners, right? It's, it's reversed, um, David said, I'm conceived in iniquity, right? And uh, uh, Job says, man is few of days and full of trouble. I mean, it's just this concept throughout all of Scripture that says we're, we're pretty messed up, right? And so with that as, as our grounded understanding of who we are and who God is, then the idea of if I do better, God will do better for me goes away because God is not responding to us and our goodness, Right? We talk about Romans 5.8 all the time, that what happened in Romans 5.8? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death for us was not in response to our goodness. It was an expression of God's goodness and love for those that do not deserve said goodness and love. And so we extrapolate that into this idea of blessing and we say, okay, I do good and God gives good, can't be just this, uh, the, the exact idea of blessing, right? Uh, we have to understand that blessing, any good interaction that comes into our lives from God is undeserved good interaction. Bar none, okay? Every last drop of God's goodness in your life is undeserved goodness, right? Now, sometimes we take that and we think, man, you're such a downer, dude. Like, you're mean and you're just making me feel like a worm. Like, when we rightly understand that every drop of goodness in our life comes because of grace, worship is enhanced. We say, how good and glorious and loving and gracious are you, my God, that you gave Jesus <laughs> and you keep on giving. Why? Because you're good because you love us, because you're gracious to us. And so we have to unlearn or, so to say, kind of dispose of this concept that blessedness is cause and effect, right? I've tried to figure out the best way to articulate this, and, and from, what, from where we stand in, in contradiction to that idea, 
Blessedness seems more than anything to be a path, a road that we walk within that has been kind of uh, architected by the morality of God, by the goodness of God. That blessedness, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So what he's saying is you'll find yourself happy when you do the things God says to do. You'll find that life often produces fruit of a wonderful type when you follow God's ways. And the reason you would follow God's ways is because the fear of the Lord has impressed your heart to do so, right? But then we have to at the same time say, that doesn't mean every single time I do what God says I should do, everything goes right for me, right? Because that's the complexity of the broken world, that we know that still things fall apart even when we kind of do rightly, so to say. And so this idea of blessings being that we get uh, is, is really not biblical, but rather this idea that God has established the way of the world and that walking in said way is to welcome blessing into our life, is to see that how he designed things, uh, to see that reproduce in our lives uh, blessedness. And so he says everyone here, right? Verse 1, he's like, this is for everybody. Everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways can experience this blessedness. And so that's verse 1. And then verse 2 and 3, just like we saw last week in verses 3 through 5, this week in verses 3 and 4, we see an example of blessing. Okay? We see, we see this psalmist kind of define what blessedness would look like. And in particular, he's defining what blessedness would look like for a man in Israel in his time. Okay, how do we know that? Verse 4 says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so the psalmist is just stopping for a minute saying, When you fear God and walk in his ways, then you'll, you'll find life filled with the blessedness of God. And, and let's pull into a very specific scenario, and I'll show you what that looks like for a particular person in this place and in this time. And so he says in verse 3, your wife will be, or sorry, starting in verse 2, actually, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with, with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus the man, uh, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Right? And so we see this example as a man experiencing the blessing of God. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, uh, we see all of these physical experiences of the children of Israel, right? Uh, we see them delivered out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea. Uh, we see manna appearing in the desert for them to eat every single morning when they get up. We see uh, the experience of liberation at the hands of young David when he slings a stone into the, the forehead of, of uh, Goliath and then off with his head. Um, like we see these physical uh, truths, these physical events that happen for Israel, and these physical realities for them paint a, a beautiful picture. I mean, when you walk through the Old Testament, you just get this amazing picture of what spiritual truths that we're walking through look like, right? They kind of unpack those spiritual truths. So in the Exodus from Egypt, we see our deliverance from slavery to sin, Right in God parting the Red Sea to let the Israelites walk through on dry land, and then uh, Pharaoh and his horses all die and, and drown. Um, we see that God 
uh, overcomes our enemy, Satan, and that he leads us into uh, a place where we might know him and worship him and follow him, and then eventually to a home, right, in um, in uh, Canaan. And so we see these kind of physical examples of what would be spiritual ex- experiences or blessings in our lives. And so this uh, example for this man in Israel is not the psalmist saying the only way to be blessed is to do this. The only possible expression of blessing from God is this example. It's a, it's a, a, a picture physically that is blessing, but also is a picture spiritually of blessing for us. Does that make sense? Kind of parallels there. Um, and so we see these realities, these physical experiences translated into spiritual, spiritual experiences for us. And so we're saying, we're seeing here in Psalm 128 that blessedness or happiness looks a certain way for this man in Israel, and that that blessedness results in a productive farm, it results in a fruitful marriage, and it results in a happy family, okay? And so those are the expressions of living into the blessing of God because this man is walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, how many of you have a farm? Right, so do we get to apply this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but not to a farm, right? And so there are, there, are, uh, there are ways to kind of pigeonhole this blessing or there are ways to kind of open it up and to say, no, I, I too see the blessing of God even though I may not be a farmer, a husband, or a father, right? Because you may not be those things. Does that mean you're not blessed? Everybody said, no. Good job. All right, we're tracking. So but just practically for a minute, what does this mean for this guy, right? What does this mean for his farming? It means that he follows the wisdom of God that says he should work very hard, right? And like we talked about last week, within the boundaries of creation, with gener- generosity, humility, and diligence, trusting God, who is the great and better farmer, to sovereignly bring either harvest or famine according to his plan, right? So the farming reality for this man is to live according to the precepts for farming, Again, is that your job to live according to precepts for me? No, but it's your job to live according to God's precepts for your work, for the things that you put your hands to, those things that you would do what? With excellence and diligence and with trust in the Lord, knowing that the outcome of those things is not up to you, but up to God, which is what we covered last week. Because if the laborers build a house without the Lord, they're just building shacks, right? And so that reality plays into our work. And what does this mean for this man's marriage? It means that if he follows the wisdom of God that says he should honor the marriage bed and not be led astray into the arms of an adulteress, either before or during his marriage, and that with servant leadership he should protect, provide for, and love his wife and trust God, who is the great and better husband, to sovereignly build his family, either like Jacob's or like Abraham's, according to his plan and purpose. Because like we saw last week, can we make the children? No, God alone can. And so we faithfully and diligently pursue what a faithful marriage looks like, trusting God to build it out as he has determined. And finally, what does this look like for his children? It means that he follows the wisdom of God that says that he should teach and train and discipline and love and protect and provide for his children so long as they are under his care. And while he does this, he must trust God, who is the great and better father, to sovereignly provide and guide for the entirety of their lives according to his purposes because we know that no single one of us can save our own children or keep them. But we faithfully live according to the precepts of the Lord and we trust him to do his purposes. 
And so this is the experience for this man in Israel of the blessing of God. It is a sign, these blessings, it is a sign of the wisdom of God being present in his life because the wisdom of God is to walk in to his truths. So this is, this is the psalmist in 128 giving us a picture of what blessing might look like. Again, not this sum total and absolute definition of blessing for all of us, but an example of blessing. And there's some really beautiful truths that can be gleaned in there. But if we only look in Psalms for an idea of blessing, we're going to miss the bigger spiritual picture, right? Which I talked about just a minute ago. To get that, we need to start with Matthew 5. And I didn't put this on the screen so that uh, in time, Ryan, so folks turn to Matthew 5, either in a Bible or your Bible app. This is Jesus speaking in, in Matthew 5, and it's Jesus telling us what blessing looks like. Hold on tight. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is, in heaven, is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The concept that blessing is nothing but getting good things from God is not fully biblical. We have to see Jesus declaring here that when you don't have, when you aren't experiencing, when you're struggling, when you're hungry, when you're getting beat up for being a good person, you're blessed. Well, right? That is earth-shattering if your only concept of blessing is getting good things from God. So we need to see blessing as deeper than just putting stuff on top of our life, right? Blessing is living in light of this greater truth of God, knowing that everything that I go through is within his plan for my life, and it is making a greater end for me. It is a glorious reality that is being unfolded in my life. So now, this poverty and this hunger and this struggle 
Are those the blessings? No, but through them we'll find the blessedness, right? Because what happens in poverty, what happens in need, what happens in struggle, you finally discover that all the things that the world can give you, all the temporal stuff that you could obtain in this life, it does not last and it cannot sustain. And through that, the blessedness of God is everything starts to be exposed to us. We start to realize, man, even if I spend my life in a concentration camp, locked away from my family and friends, I can still know and serve and love God and experience blessing. That's a profound idea that people like Corey Ten Boom or Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood. I mean, right? Craziness. Or you look at somebody like Joni Erickson Tata. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's a quadriplegic, has been for, I don't know, a long time. Anybody know? Long, long, long time. And it speaks about Jesus constantly. Um, and I just stumbled upon another one this week that um, same type of thing, has had nothing but hardship in her life, and she wrote a book on blessing. I'm like, whoa, that's some deep stuff. And so Jesus' words in Matthew 5 must be included in our conceptualizing of being blessed. A couple other places in the New Testament that show us what blessing is. Romans 4 says that blessing means being forgiven. <laughs> right? If we don't include that in blessing, we're completely missing the point. Blessing means to be forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are not counted against him, Paul says. He's repeating Psalm 34, I think. Titus 2 says that the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is our ultimate blessed hope that the destination of all blessing is Jesus appearing for us. The culmination and the great crescendo of blessing is his return. James says that those who remain steadfast under trial are blessed. Wow. That's intense and profound. Peter says that those who are insulted or who suffer for living rightly are blessed. He repeats the words of Jesus. And Revelation says these things, that you're blessed if you get to read the Bible out loud. I mean, I never consider that. Holy moly, that is a tremendous blessing that I get to open his words of life and just take them in. Or you're blessed if you get to hear it read. Uh, and you're definitely blessed when you keep what is written in it, it says. Revelation also says that those who are blessed will be washed pure by Jesus. We'll be given his garments of righteousness and invited to his amazing wedding feast. And then ultimately it declares this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, repeats the refrain. Do we look even at death as blessedness? I mean, no. Because we think blessing is primarily physical but when we see blessing as primarily spiritual, we recognize, oh man, blessed is it, as Paul said, greater to be gone from the earth and present with Jesus, right? A great blessedness in that reward. And so the true blessedness of a disciple of Jesus is something that spills into our lives because of this fear of the Lord and living uh, living along his paths, living in his ways. It's not a 
uh, a cause and effect. It's a stream, essentially, a roadway, a path that we are welcome to journey on. The path has already been laid. The riverbed has been drawn out. And fear of the Lord and wisdom would welcome us to walk within that blessedness. And often trials enhance that as we experience more of what is true and full and lasting. Last two verses, just to kind of give us a direction for blessing. Verse 5 and 6. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So what we see here finally is that blessing to the psalmist is for others. Right? To live in this blessedness has a conclusion, and that conclusion is not the self. It is the city. It is the grandchildren. It is the nation. That's what the blessedness is for. It's not for hoarding. It's not for keeping. It's not for guarding. It's not for ensuring and for protecting. It's for spilling. It's for continuance, right? And so to walk in the ways of the Lord, to fear him, to have our lives rightly lived in respect and awe of who he is means that we then walk in his ways according to his paths and experience the blessings of God that are given to us that we might share them with others that they might spill over into uh, the lives of other people. And so we see this, uh, this right living in this psalm uh, as a right living that brings effect to the people around this man, right? That if we just live for ourselves and for our good, then we're missing so much of the call of the gospel, which is to live for others, for their good, and ultimately for the glory of Jesus. He says, may Zion, or may Jerusalem prosper, may your children prosper, and may Israel, the nation, be glad because of the blessing of the Lord. And so as we walk in our life, man, we see that that the the right living that we engage in uh, affects the world around us dramatically. And so we would say that we want to live in the fear of the Lord, walking in his ways uh, in a way that benefits our family, our city, our nation, Uh, the people that are around us, so that they might eventually see the goodness of God and come into the fear of the Lord so that they too might find themselves walking on the way of blessing. I'll close with this from Eugene Peterson before we read one more time. He says, everyone wants to be happy to be blessed. Too many people are willfully refusing to pay attention to the one who wills our happiness, that is God. God's ways and God's presence are where we experience the happiness that lasts. If we live into hashtag blessed, man, it's all temporary, momentary stuff that is passing away. To live into the true blessing of God is to live into an idea of forever, that it's here now and it's here to stay, that blessedness and happiness will be mine forevermore. So let's read Psalm 128 one more time. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Mount Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, uh, we know how 
prone we are to look at blessing in particular ways. And God, I just pray that you would help us to fear you rightly and to know that our interaction with you is uh, its not a matter of merit and posturing and proving ourselves, but rather it's a matter of seeing you rightly and responding to your glory in a way that humbles us and brings us to see that your ways are true, that your words are true, that your path is right, and that in walking that way, we find true blessedness, true happiness. And God, some of us, we don't feel blessed. That's just the gut-level truth. We look around and we see everybody else's happinesses. And we don't feel it ourselves. And so, God, we pray for two things. Number one, would you help us to see the blessedness that we have in Jesus? Not to make light of trouble, but rather to make more and much of Jesus and what he's done for us and how in him all spiritual blessings belong to us because he worked for us because he lived for us and died for us and rose for us that we might truly be blessed. So God, root us in that deep blessedness, knowing that you are near and with us and that through Christ you have given us what we should never have been given. And then also, God, we pray for mercy. We pray that as we fear the Lord and walk in his ways, we would see the blessedness of life in him, that you would give us joy and peace, happiness, that you would provide for us that it might spill over into the lives around us. Lord, that we would have strength in our days so that we could live for the benefit of others and for the glory of Jesus. And if you should choose that even in our suffering and our death to be more glorified, we will believe and accept that that is right and good and according to your plan. So God, that's our prayer for those who struggle, for them to know that your good is coming even in the hardness, even in the difficulty. Um, and that's tough because it takes a lot of trust. Uh, so help us trust you and look at Jesus and see the beauty of what he's done for us. Lord, we thank you for these things. We pray them all in Christ's name. Amen.